Welcome to the Top Business Leaders Podcast. You'll learn how successful people just like you have grown their businesses, expanded their influence, and made money by writing a book. On each episode, you'll learn the inside secrets to help you create a book that can serve as a powerful marketing tool to skyrocket your business. I'm your host, Dan Janelle. I help thought leaders, business executives, and entrepreneurs write their books. To find out more and to download our show notes, go to topbusinessleaders.com. Our guest today is Kyle Krippendorf. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Dan. Oh, my pleasure. Delighted to have you here. Let me read your bio. Dr. Kai Han Krippendorf was elected to the Thinkers 50 radar list as one of the 30 management thinkers to look out for in the coming shortlist as one of the eight most influential innovation experts in the world. He is a top business strategy, growth and transformation keynote speaker who helps inspire, motivate and arm hundreds of thousands of people with the tools and mindset needed to win the future. He began his career as a strategy consultant with McKinsey & Company. He is now the founder of the growth strategy firm OutThinker and the OutThinker Strategy Network, a global community of heads of strategy of large corporations, including Pfizer, CVS, QVC, Macmillan, BNY Mellon, and Viacom. His work has generated over $2.5 billion in new annual revenue for his clients. Wow, that's quite a background. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Well, it's great to see you in person. I know you were a PR Leads client many, many years ago. And yes. Obviously, use that PR to launch yourself. Yes, it worked. And, uh, and I still get, you know, I still follow you and your content and get a lot of value out of what you do. Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. You've also written a book. Tell us about the book and how it has helped your career. Yeah, yeah well, you know, my entire career is built on books that I've written. This is the fifth book that I've written. Uh, this is book is, I think with each book, my platform grows. And this most recent book is called Driving Innovation from Within. And what I seek to do here is kind of take on the idea that the entrepreneur is the primary innovator in society and show that actually employees working in established companies have really been the uh, innovators. And so, you know, it's, it's helped my, my, my uh, practice and my business primarily uh, through speaking. Uh, that's primarily how I say monetize my book writing activity. Great. We'll go more to that in a few minutes. Um, but I want to establish one thing here. Uh, a lot of my clients write books intended to be big business cards. Other clients write books to become thought leaders. And I'm guessing you're in the second category. That is right. That is right. I really dig in deep. I find a, a topic that I am passionate about. And I spend a good three to five years researching and writing. I love the process. I love the questions and answering the questions. And, and you know, as far as my personal brand and what I aspire to, it's, it's thought leadership. My father was a professor for, still a professor at the same university for 50 years. And I really grew up kind of in that academic environment. Fantastic. Now, most of my clients are, are would, would blanch at the idea of spending three to five months working on a project, <laughs> yes. let alone three to five yes. years. How do you get the, I don't even know what the word is, intestinal fortitude or the stick to the pants? Or how do you keep something interesting for three to five years? Well, I pick something that I'm intrinsically interested in. That could either be kind of intellectually or it could be from a passion. So 
I discovered many years ago that my purpose in life is people loving what they do. And so this topic of empowering employee innovators, that aligns so well with my passion, with my mission, right? So it, it was something I had to write because it was my purpose. So I think that's the key is thinking of and choosing a topic that you care enough about to see it all the way through. When you say three to five years, is that a hard deadline that you're working with? Is that, uh, are you working with a publisher who says, I need to have this book by that time? Or do you need three years to actually do all the research that you need to do? I need three years to do the research. So I, I conduct a lot of interviews for this last book. I interviewed 150 people and I just get into the content. I don't even talk to a publisher until it's within a year of being complete. Now, it doesn't mean most publishers don't want you to come to them with a complete manuscript. So it's not a complete manuscript, but it is kind of the blocks in the form of stories that are often blogs that I've written. And I can then take those blocks and cement them together after the publisher signs and tells me that they like my outline. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Walk me through your research process. How do you find the 150 people? What do you do if uh, seven of them say exactly the same things? I mean, who do you, <laughs> you, well, let, 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 let's, let's go with that question first. You, this happens to me. Uh, you interview seven people, they say the same thing. Do you say, oh my gosh, this is great, I see a trend? Or do you say, oh my gosh, this is the seventh person saying the same thing. I can't <laughs> quote all seven people. What do I do? Or is there a third option, or in your case, the fourth option, which is the, which right. the title of your TED Talk? <laughs> Yes, right. Yeah, I think, um, I, I guess if you hear seven people say the same thing, that could either be the truth or it can be a myth. And so sometimes when people say the same thing, because it's just what you say, you know, like there's this term corporate antibodies that I heard over and over again. You know, you come up with an idea inside a corporation and these corporate antibodies emerge to fight it. But that is kind of a sticky concept that, at least in my book and what I believe is not that it's not true. I, I think I show that, um, that they don't actually exist, but it's sort of a myth. But what I'll do is I'll take these 150 interviews and then I will, in an Excel sheet, I'll write down the names. So you can imagine 150 rows. Mm -hmm. And then I, after each interview, I write away, write down the key takeaways while they're still fresh in my mind. And then I'll go to those key takeaways and I will plot them in columns and so one of the columns might be the thing that seven people said. And I'll have a little X mark. This person said it, that person said it, that person said it, right? And so then you end up with this matrix. And the things that people said often, that's what I'll pull out as potentially a rule or, or, or concept or the truth. Right? So for this book, for example, seven big concepts came out. And that, those seven became the chapters of the book. Did you have an idea when you started writing a book that those seven principles existed or did they come to you strictly from your research? Um, they came from my research. Mm -hmm. I tried to go into the writing process, not with a hypothesis, but with a question. And then I'll start forming the hypothesis, but I don't trust myself enough to say, 
in my gut after interviewing these people, I feel like this is the hypothesis. I like to go through that measuring process that I described using an Excel sheet and really code and see what interviewers said. Um, sometimes it's a aha. Uh, sometimes it is kind of obvious. And either way, then you got to kind of decide what to do with that. How do you take something that's obvious that everyone already knows and how do you either represent it in a different way so it feels new or do you just leave it out because you're not contributing to the knowledge by saying it? Tell me about a time when you were totally surprised when you did an interview, you're doing your 130th interview, you think you've done it all and you're about to say, I really don't need to do any more interviews and someone just surprised the heck out of you by giving you a stunner that you hadn't thought of. Has that ever happened? Um, well, they kind of build on each other, right? Someone will say something and then someone else will say something and someone else will say, and then I'll see the pattern. Uh, like for example, I went in really thinking that the reason that employee innovators are motivated to innovate was because they wanted to, for financial gain or career advancement, because many entrepreneurs sort of, that's what drives us as entrepreneurs is to build a business. And we might have a purpose behind the business, but I, I thought that the same motivation, but then when I started hearing stories, there's one woman, Heather Davis, um, who was a client of mine. And she told me the story of an innovation that she created that ended up being a social program that her company launched to help people with autism find work on farms. And through that work kind of improve their lives. They get a, a driver's license. They have their own money. They get something on the resume. And then hundreds of people have gone through it. And I said, well, does, is that really an innovation, right? Because it doesn't produce revenue. It's not um, a new business. And But I heard many stories like that. And what, what the big aha was, these people don't do it for the money often. They do it for the intrinsic motivation. They do it for the passion. They do it for the purpose. Mm -hmm. And that was a big flip for me. And I really had to then shift the tone of the book to be less about driving growth, revenue, profit, dominating, disrupting, to more about changing the world without quitting your job. Nice. Nice. So as you're conducting these interviews, are you writing at all or are you waiting to see those points solidify or something in between? Uh, I write it. I, I write very quickly. And so I'm on the phone, I've got a word document and I'm just typing it in as I go. And it's, I borrow a little bit from what I was trained at McKinsey in how you do interviews. You like write the text and the big things, and then you write the key takeaways. So if you and I were doing an interview for 20 minutes, I would just be typing, typing, typing nonstop. I might highlight a few things as I go. And then when we're done for the next 10 minutes, I'll go back and pull out what are the three big takeaways? And I'll put those in bullets at the top. And then I'll save that document with the title, Dan, on this date, and put it in this folder, right? And I just start filling that folder with Word documents. I love it. That's a great idea. I sort of do that with these interviews as well. I, I, I take notes and then I send seven uh, tips or seven pull out quotes from mm -hmm. the interview and, 
have my guests look at them to make sure I didn't put words in their mouth uh-huh. or dumb them down or use a word they would never use or whatever. And uh, edit that way. I should do that. Uh, I don't have and, that second yeah. filter. Yeah. And as a result, I mean, you're, you're interview number 38, which means I have somewhere in the neighborhood of, let's see, seven times 40 is 200, about 280 wow. or so tips on everything right. from writing to creativity to editing to dozens of different topics and so like hmm there's another book in here somewhere uh yes i yeah i like to think of that way as sort of the um i saw this quote from deepak chopra and he had this analogy of if you don't open the faucet then no water can go through the pipe Hmm. so in order to get it flowing you need to produce it so by constantly producing you are looking for ideas and content and you get that flow going. So I'm always, always reading and interviewing and taking notes and writing. Sometimes I don't know what the topic is, but then I start converging on the topic and then I start focusing the interviews into a theme. So like what you're doing is like an endless source of books. Uh, it, it is, as are you. How do you decide what to keep in and what to leave out? Because you have so much data and you right. and a publisher would only want so few pages in, in comparison. What right. stays, what goes? Well, I think, you know, and, and I know others on your podcast have said this, it's the, uh, that it's not about writing, it's about editing. Hmm. The first draft, I write something, I know the first draft gets thrown away. It just solidifies my thinking and then I write the second draft. Now I'm doing that throughout the process. I'm writing a blog. I throw it away. I write another blog. Then my editor edits it and then I look at it again and then she'll do a little more editing and then we produce it and that's a complete piece. So that has already gone from 2,000 words to 700 words, right? So that's the juicy stuff. And when I turn to writing the book, the content I'm working with. Now I take those 700 word blogs and I start stacking them up together like a Lego block uh, tower or something. And then I end up with a chapter that is too long. I end up with a 10,000 word chapter and I hate to make it a 5,000 word chapter. There's a different editor that I work with when I'm writing the book and she is really good at taking the pieces and moving them around, putting them in different orders, creating the connection points and just hacking out, she calls it the marshmallow, like that sometimes a, a chapter is a marshmallow. It's filled with fluff. And we need to <laughs> chop out the stuff so that you end up with just the most essential content. I love it. You know, I'm editing uh, one of my client's books from a series of blog posts and webinars he's done. And he did a lot of the same material, but in a different order to prove a different point because he was talking about a different subject. And I had to go back and say, you know, he really said it well here, but he said it well there. And that's like move things around because he said it better the second time. Right, right. uh, Yeah, it's a great mind game where it's difficult to do for yourself because there's so many connection points fighting uh, with each other. Do you find as well when you're going through that process that the person will have – you kind of want to put a conclusion after each piece mm-hmm. and it ends up being the same conclusion. And so you have the conclusion multiple times in the book. Uh, I'm, just, I mean? reading through, I'm yeah. just reading through the what I consider to be the first draft and I noticed there were three similar stories or three, three things that were the same in essence. 
in three different yes. parts of the book. It's like, okay, they have to put them together and condense them. Cause it's, right. It's, and and just say the conclusion best? once. Yes. Right. Where does yeah. it fit best? That was really the key. Yeah. And it's a mind game. It feels like, you know, it sounded so good on the webinar, but in print, it really flows in a different thought process to as a convincing tool and persuasion and storytelling. Yeah. So it's it's quite interesting. You know course, what, what I with did one person. Last, yeah, you have 150 people. I can't yes. imagine. <laughs> it's like three-dimensional Well, you know, it was, again, I think it, I'm going to do this for the next book. Take the 150, and before you write anything, you line them up. You figure out what the seven points are. Those are the seven, the seven chapters. Think of those as like seven pillars. And what I did for this book that I wish I had done for my prior books, and I'm going to do from, then on, from now on, is there's one overarching narrative that begins and ends each chapter. So when one chapter ends, it's sort of like, and then Dan, he did this and this, and the question now was, how is he going to get, you know, funding? And the chapter ends. And then you begin the next <laughs> chapter and says, so Dan knew he needed funding and he tried this and this and this. And then it, then there's the chapter on funding, for example. I don't actually have a chapter on funding, but it's a little bit like the, uh, the Da Vinci Code book. Mm-hmm which I thought was so brilliantly constructed that, you know, you have these two parallel stories and when one ends on a cliffhanger, the next one begins. And so you can't stop right. and it just keeps you going. So that has, I think made the flow of this um, much more effective. And, and that was the idea from the editor that I worked with. That's very clever. I've actually started taking a number of fiction writing courses to help my nonfiction ah, okay. writing. And uh, I subscribe to this uh, service online called Master Classes, where they yes. do have uh, Dan Brown. You mentioned the Da Vinci wow. Code. He has a master class where he talks about how he creates characters and tension. Um, wow. Several other, uh, James Patterson and several others of that totally you no know, top tier genre. People are wow. selling millions of books. Uh, talk about how they how they do it. And it is brilliant. And business writers can improve their books tremendously by using right. fiction techniques. And I'm glad that you talked about your, your cliffhanger technique mm-hmm. in books. Uh, I can't wait to read them. That's fantastic. Um, we're getting coming to the end of our interview time. Do you have any other tips for our listeners on how they can start to write their first books? You know, I think um, in addition to doing what you're doing is learning the craft of writing and I'm going to take a look at the master class that I've seen the advertised, but haven't done them. Um, you know, I would, I would really think of it as just writing 500 words a day, just keep doing it every day. And before you know it, you've got the content or a book. Sort of like if you're running a wrong race and you're thinking about the finish line, you're more likely to give up. If you're just thinking about the next mile, you're more likely to get across the finish line. Great. Wonderful statement. Love it. Uh, and, uh please tell us who you're, target client is, how they can get in touch with you, uh, tell, tell us about your book and your website. Yeah, so anyone who's interested in strategy and innovation, whether you're a leader that wants to unlock innovation or you're an employee that wants to drive innovation, um, my website is kaihan.net, K-A-I-H-A-N dot N-E-T. There you can get in touch with me and see all my content. Cool. And the name of your book is? Driving Innovation from Within, a Guide for Internal Entrepreneurs. Fantastic. 
Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for listening to Top Business Leaders, the only podcast that shows you exactly how people just like you have built their businesses by writing a book. If you'd like to write your book but don't know where to start, you can find great information at writeyourbookinaflash.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with another insightful interview to help you become a top business leader.